Warning, the following podcast contains adult language, if by adult you mean juvenile, which for some reason is what that means. Uh, this week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by PolicyGenius.com and by one final week of our Sam Clovis in seven words or less contest. Today we have three winners to close it out. First up, we have repeat champion Brad, who got a partial mention last week by chance, but without a credit. He had heart disease in a mirror three times. Also, Morton, who had Mr. Creosote goes to Washington. And last but not least, James, who had Colonel Sanders fucked a weeble. Let's work all around. And now it's time for a new target. We're going to go with Alabama's favorite theocratic bigot and GOP Senate primary winner, Roy Moore. Please tweet us your best seven words or less using the hashtag Roy Moore scathe, and you could be the next winner. And now, Scathing Atheist. Hey, everybody. This is Jeremy from the Worldwide Atheist Podcast. And I'm here to tell you that, in fact, we did evolve from dirty, filthy, monkey men with huge cocks. It's September 28th. And I'm alive, but I'm not happy about it. I'm no illusions. <laughs> I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. New York, New York. Secret Lair, Pennsylvania. And also Austin, Texas. This is The Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode, we finish Alma by holding block and pressing up. Roger Goodell and the king of Saudi Arabia look down on Donald Trump's moral low ground. And Alabama will prove once and for all that more is less. But first, the diatribe. As much as this admission threatens my professional reputation, I have to say it anyway. I am a terrible misanthrope. You know, it's easy for me to ignore that fact most of the time. I work from home. I don't socialize much. And something like 90% of my in-person interactions are with Lucinda, Heath, Eli, Andrew, or Morgan. And when I'm not interacting with them, I'm usually talking to people online where people are so much easier to hate. Now, I don't want to come across as demonizing the online atheist community here. It's a vital part of the movement. And it's fair to say that the modern rise of atheism would be impossible without it. I mean, I'm jealous as hell of the young atheists that don't have to deal with the isolation that I did growing up. And even in the monolithically Christian little towns like the one I grew up in, it's now possible to reach through the Internet and get in touch with like-minded heathens and be constantly reminded that you're not the only sane person on Earth. And that's great. Hell, it's what I've devoted my life to, so obviously I recognize the importance of it. But I also have to recognize its weaknesses. And over the last couple of weeks, that's been damn easy to do. See, over that period, I've received a number of emails and messages from people who are about ready to throw in the towel on the whole atheist movement thing just because of the vitriol that so often covers our online conversations. And there's no end to the infighting, name-calling, and God-winning over the controversy du jour, and I can hardly blame the disillusioned atheists that are starting to wonder why the fuck they even bother. It's gotten to the point where, well, let's hear them out is all it takes to get labeled a bigot or a Nazi, and even politely disagreeing is too damn accommodationist for some people. 
But there is a place you can go where all that shit fades to the background and the animosity just melts away. It's called reality. And while I wouldn't recommend spending too much time there, it's a nice place to visit from time to time. This contrast was really striking for me this past weekend, right? Keith, Eli, Andrew, and I were in Austin for a live god-awful movies record that we did in conjunction with the Austin community of atheist Samuel Batcrew. So after a couple of weeks of suffering through arguments that were needlessly combative and dismissive about whatever the fuck everybody decided to get pissed off about most recently, it was impossible not to notice the profound difference between online and in-person interactions in the atheist community. See, I'm sure a lot of people on the back cruise disagreed with me on about all kinds of shit. Important shit, no doubt. But as it happens, when we were all standing beside one another, looking at each other in the eyes, it was a lot harder to reduce people to nothing but the disagreement we were having in the moment. It was a lot easier to sympathize and be respectful, and it was impossible to block anyone and retreat into my ever-narrowing echo chamber. See, as important as our online communities are, they cannot substitute for our meat space communities. Actual people in a room together can do a lot of shit that, you know, Facebook groups and Twitter threads can't do. Not only can they adopt highways, volunteer at homeless shelters, protest at congressional offices and man ask an atheist booths, but they can also offer each other rides, buy each other drinks. They can look one another in the eye and recognize the fact that even if we disagree on important political topics, we're still human beings deserving of one another's respect. I mean, I'm sure some people can do that last one online, but a lot of people can't, myself included. See, on Facebook, I've got thousands of friends. I can afford to lose a few, especially if one of them's really pissing me off at this very moment. But in the real world, I got a couple dozen friends at most, and it takes a hell of a lot more than a disagreement about a conference schedule to ignite the bridge. And when I see people so cavalier about checking out of a movement they originally joined out of a passion for reason because they disagree with people about peripheral issues, I can't help but wonder if these people would feel the same way if they could actually spend a few minutes in a room with the people they're disagreeing with. Now, Look, I'm not saying we should embrace everybody who wears the atheist labels. Obviously, there are some viewpoints that we shouldn't countenance. But we should be and need to be as generous as possible when we're assessing those viewpoints. If somebody's a racist, I don't want them in my clubhouse. You know, not only is it counterproductive to the movement, but it's also contrary to good morality. I wouldn't ask anybody to set aside their moral convictions for the sake of an unethical marriage of convenience. I, you know, I hate Islam, but I'm not going to march with the KKK just because we're both bitching about Muslims today. But as the community gets bigger, it's also going to get more contentious by necessity. As we draw more people in from more diverse backgrounds, it's inevitable and even desirable that we'll disagree about more and more things. And if we're doing this right, that should be a strength rather than a weakness. We should welcome in the people we disagree with, if for no other reason than these people are going to be way better at communicating our message to the other people that share their views on whatever issue we passionately disagree with them about. We owe it to ourselves and to our movement to make every effort to understand our would-be allies before we reject them. We need each other to be successful as a movement, but we also need each other just to be well-rounded human beings. Keep in mind that a lot of people lose their friends, their family, and their entire support structure when they leave their religion. And if we reject them because they're clinging to a few of the dumbass things their religious upbringing taught them, we're condemning them to isolation and we're gift-wrapping them in case their religious community might want them back. Look, if you've never been to an atheist meetup, you owe it to yourself to correct that. But more importantly, you owe it to the rest of us. I've said many times that this movement can never be stronger than its people. We're the bricks and our relationships are the mortar. And if we want to keep religion out of our government, a strong wall is going to be a hell of a lot more effective than a pissed off pile of bricks. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. 
Joining me for headlines tonight are two men ready to bring the salt back to Salt Lake City, Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, are you ready to pwn some Mormons or what? Okay, I haven't heard you use Leet speak before. Are you going to tell us not to use drugs? Are you going to tell us <laughs> not to do drugs? <laughs> By giving us a workbook that shows us how to do all the drugs? It sounds like Dare. It sounds like you're doing Dare. <laughs> do you think Utah Dare books have like thugs brewing coffee in them? Oh, good question. Good question. And while we ponder that, we're going to pause for a quick word from this week's sponsor, Policy Genius. Hey, Eli, what you doing? Oh, just uh, packing up all this goodwill and friendship. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. There's uh, quite a bit of it. Oh, thanks, guys. Are those boxes heavy? Oh, yeah, they sure are. Ugh, got all these memories and laughter in here, so they weigh a ton. But, you know, I want to leave something to my family, and that's, that's really important to me. I got it. I know. Okay. Man, it sure is good that you can leave intangible things like affection and nice Facebook comments to your family when you die, right? Oh, tell me about it. If you couldn't, I'd have to go to policygenius.com. Wait, what's policygenius.com? Policygenius.com is the place to go to learn about life insurance. You can compare quotes from America's top providers and save up to 40% on your policy. It sounds crazy, but that's never existed before. Well, I can't imagine why it would have to. After all, your family can always eat those fond memories of you. Delish. Yeah, I don't get it either. I mean, Policy Genius has placed over $5 billion in life insurance. Their simple, user-friendly website helps you work out exactly which policy is right for you and finds you the best price. And it takes just five minutes to apply for a quote. If you have questions, they have a team of licensed experts waiting to talk you through it. No call waiting, no pressing three, followed by a pound sign. You get actual customer service. But not that I need any of that, because I'm going to leave Anna all these podcast downloads. Awesome, man. What, what do you think she's going to spend them on? <laughs> Anything she wants, right? And they don't just do life insurance over at PolicyGenius.com. You can get health insurance. You can insure your pet. You can protect your income. And if you don't need any of that, they'll actually tell you. Wow. Never thought about that. What will I do if I get sick? Well, Heath, as long as doctors still accept nice tweets as payment, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be just fine. Oh, yeah. Right. Cool. But you know, guys, not everyone is as lucky as we are. Some people want to leave their families some kind of money. Mud me? Mon yeah, yeah, I don't get it either. But if they've been putting off life insurance or want to make sure the insurance they have is right for them, they could check out PolicyGenius.com today. They could save up to 40% by comparing policies. The quotes are free, no sales pressure, and zero hassle. Now, let's go get some drinks. Hey, it's on me. Got a pocket full of smiles. Whoa, big spender. PolicyGenius.com. It's life insurance for the 21st century. And now, back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, Republican senators introduced a bill last week that would finally put the Establishment Clause out of its misery. The bill, sponsored by a cursed blobfish Ted Cruz and three of his Senate colleagues, would allow FEMA relief money to go directly to houses of worship for the purposes of rebuilding their churches. Fuck off. Ted Cruz defended the so-called Federal Disaster Assistant Nonprofit Fairness Act by pointing out that religious institutions, quote, provide vital services for our friends and neighbors and are often the first to open their doors during a devastating crisis offering aid to those in need, end quote. So he's pretty sure we've already forgotten about Joel Osteen, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and we did not forget. Nope. Also didn't forget that 
Christianity failed to prevent all the butt sex that caused these hurricanes in the first place. So it's a dumb investment. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be better ways to, to like to fund gay storm prevention is what I'm saying. It's inefficient. And Ted Cruz knows that he's not being intellectually honest. That's no, problem. he's not. Yeah. Look, I mean, if you want to prevent a gay storm, you put everyone in socks and sandals. Boom. Cure. No <laughs> <Exactly>. butt sex. <laughs> Now, uh, this bill, which would be unthinkably unconstitutional this time last year, claims that the 241-year-old restrictions against the government just handing money to churches are discriminatory and wrong since FEMA already gives money to secular nonprofits. Because, you know, nonprofit charity organizations and churches are the same thing, except when it comes to reporting their money, proving that they're doing anything charitable and serving a beneficial function. And it's worth emphasizing that this blatant effort to redirect government dollars to religious conferences being couched under the guise of non-discrimination. And I say that because the only thing it's going to take to portray the bullshit nature of that claim is a mosque asking for their cut. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no, we're giving money to any church. Any church, just show us a photo ID of the guy who wrote your holy book, and we'll send it to you. fair. Okay, now, how do we know y'all didn't blow this place up yourselves? Because I know y'all love to explode things, and I just want to be prove you weren't practicing. <laughs> Now, the Secular Coalition for America, among others, has strongly condemned the bill in a statement from Executive Director Larry T. Decker. He points out that not forcing taxpayers to literally pay to build churches is the most obvious intention of the Establishment Clause and cannot possibly be squared with a secular government. The statement reads in part, quote, The legislation, however well-intentioned, will rebuild houses of worship by knocking down the wall of separation between church and state, end quote, which is inaccurate only in the sense that there's no hint of good intention in this bullshit end run around the First Amendment. Let's not split hairs here. This is not a well-meaning but misguided effort. FEMA money is finite, and every dollar we piss away rebuilding Jesus' houses is a dollar we didn't spend rebuilding infrastructure and homes. In other words, we're taking money away from needy people to give it to churches in hopes that those churches will give some of that money to the needy people that they're taking it from in the year 2018 all government is just handing money in at church and pulling a giant lever to see how much of it we get back <laughs> right <laughs> apparently Milton and in parents just Lawless. don't understand news tonight ronald and rendy Wright. yes i pronounced that correctly her name is rendy with an r rendy Wright are out on bond after being arrested last month for kicking their seven-year-old out of the house for being possessed by demons. Okay. Yeah. Okay. According to their arrest affidavit, they told their child to leave their home and never return, which is an oddly folksy way to kill your child. Yeah, right? <laughs> At least the Canadian hippies, they give you some maple syrup along the way. It's like much more delicious way to die uh, as long as we're ranking ways to murder your child like i'd be like absolutely right after augustus gloop <laughs> you taste the stuff the left of the valley people gave us heaven I, I did try it and i don't have meningitis now i feel like that canadian couple got fucked y'all yeah exactly <laughs> now our listeners are probably wondering why they would do this and the answer of course is they're meth heads they're they're well, on meth yep but both yeah. articles i read threw that little detail in at the end like it wasn't related so Let's be clear, the reason that Randy and fucking Randy do anything forever is because they're meth heads, but it was the advice of their preacher when they were in between meths, according to them, that cemented their decision. Yeah, well, they, they also left out the fact that Randy was a Sagittarius, which seems like a blatant oversight as well. 
Ronald gets done giving a toothless blowjob. Pastor John? No way. I'll get his burger. <laughs> I got a serious problem. My kid costs money and is full of demons. Any way to fix those two things kind of all at once? <laughs> Exactly. Now, a Texas deputy also said that the couple in discussion with a preacher were told that the boy is possessed by demons because of his bad behavior. And that was what really cemented their decision to tell a seven year old to make it on his own in the world. Which, according to Eli, is basically the same as allowing him to walk to the bus stop on his own. Pretty much. Am, pretty much. Am I fine? <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> Lots of kids. Not I don't fine. really know if you're fine. Well, that was a bad example. <laughs> Going back to what fine means. <laughs> That's cool. So the good news is the child is now safe with a relative who hopefully knows he isn't full of ghosts and doesn't smoke the side of matchboxes in their spare time. But either way, the crux of this story is if you name your kid Rendy, it's going to be a meth addict and kill its baby. I think that's really really, that's what we (laughs) pretty solid guarantee. Is there meth in the side of matchboxes? No, there is is not. We do not recommend that. And we don't even need Andrew to call us later. We do not recommend smoking the side of matchboxes. I'm going to describe the the recipe for meth. And then people have, I'm just giving out information. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) And in a post state of the union news tonight, according to a new survey, Americans are stupid and ignorant uh, as a group. So, okay. I didn't realize us listening to Noah yell about the, Alabama primary in the shower was a survey, but that's fancy. That's fancy. That's it's pretty cool. <laughs> okay, well, we we are stupid as a group, but in fairness, the same can be said of pretty much all the large groups of human beings ever assembled. But the numbers we have today are about Americans, so that's what we're going to focus on. Specifically, the fact that stupid and ignorant seems to go hand in hand with the belief that atheists are evil cyborgs who don't get to have all the human rights, and apparently. I'm describing about 125 million Americans when I name that belief. Wow. <laughs> Someday we're going to report that like nine out of 10 Americans think toes aren't real. And I'm, I'm going to have to pretend to be surprised and write jokes about it. <laughs> Make the bit work. <laughs> well, to be fair, I, I feel like we're more chaotic, neutral cyborgs, but ultimately that's mostly a matter of opinion. I can't say that they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. So the survey was conducted last month by the University of Pennsylvania's Annenberg Public Policy Center. And one of the main questions was, do atheists have the same rights as other American citizens? <laughs> Which feels like it's going to have a yes or no answer and nothing else. But ooh, um, ooh. Uh, apparently not, uh, because <laughs> uh, the way the survey presented it, people were given the statement, atheists are supposed to have equal rights under the law, and then asked to say how accurate that statement was. Ready for the the numbers? Not Mm -hmm. really. Okay, well, either way, 61% said very accurate. Uh, That leaves a bunch more people. 18% (laughs) said somewhat accurate, uh, whatever. And 21% said uh, whatever the fuck else, all of which would mean (laughs) not even somewhat accurate (laughs) is that last group as a whole. So just to be clear, only about three-fifths of Americans realize that atheists are not on the the three-fifths plan that we used to have for uh, other groups of people. Okay, they can vote, but no driver's licenses. All right, y'all get life, <laughs> liberty, and trivial pursuit. Yeah. And uh, just in case those numbers I just gave you weren't depressing enough, here's one other fun set of stats. When asked to name the branches of government, the most common score 
was zero out of three. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. That's the most, that's the, the most common, common score on this test of three questions. About 33% of Americans cannot name a single branch of government. Oh, Jesus. 27% named one branch. 13% named two branches, which it's weird to know two out of three. That's right? the craziest one. To me. <laughs> How, whatever. And only 26% could name all three branches of government. Also, just for the record, one guy was like, fuck you, nerd, and refused to answer. So that's, I think, another zero out of three in, into the mix. Heath, Heath, I know you're proud of your answer, but a little decorum, right? Let's not insert ourselves into this. Well, see, now, I don't know, because I said financial, prejudicial, and excursive, and they started to mark me wrong. <laughs> All right. But uh, getting back to the atheist rights question, what would somewhat accurate even fucking mean? Do people think we have, like, learner's permit style rights? Like, <laughs> only until sundown? What are the words going through these people's faces? Like, much like women and colored folk, they can own property now, but only if a Christian signs the permission. What the fuck do they think is happening? What does that mean somewhat? Jesus. Yeah, and you have to wonder what these people learned in school. In school. In school. All right, kids, sit the fuck down. Today is history slash math slash science day before the next big test. So shut it down because there's 112 of you in here and I need 95% of you to get an A or they're taking the desks. Fuck face, what's up? Um, I don't have a desk. Shit, uh, just use the kid in front of you that, that, that passed out from hunger. Oh, but he's squishy. Whatever, quit bitching. All right, the three branches of government, uh, there's the elective, the semicolon, and the Punitive. I don't know. write that down. Pop quiz. Who was the first president of Guam? I uh, are we supposed to have paper? You all fucking fail in the real world. Nobody's gonna hire you unless you know who the first president of Guam was. I don't think that's true. Oh, that shit's over. I got paid eighteen bucks today. Uh, elective semicolon and Guam, 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 Guam. <laughs> And while we're busy pretending that that would be noticeably worse than our existing educational system, we're going to pause for a quick break and hand things over to my lovely wife, Lucinda. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she was. If it's a legitimate race. It makes you a slut, right? It, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massachusetts. Well, holy shit. I do a segment last week on the slow march of progress in the Middle East, and then this week, Saudi Arabia finally gets around to letting women drive. Kind of makes me want to do a segment this week about all the money that keeps falling in my yard. But yes, 124 years late is technically still better than never. So kudos to Saudi Arabia. I don't mean to be too optimistic here, but it's possible that the rights of women to make decisions, swim publicly, or try on clothes while they shop might just be on the horizon. Now, I probably don't have to tell you that there are plenty of Muslim hardliners in the kingdom that are vehemently opposed to the change. For example, in advance of this change, Saudi cleric and head of the religious edicts department of the southern province, Sa'ad al-Hijri, tried to preempt the advance by pointing out how incredibly dangerous this move would be. After all, as he points out, women only have one quarter of the brain that men have. Yep, that's what the fucker said. And if you're not offended enough already, let me explain to you how he got there. First of all, according to this idiot, women's brains are only half the size of man brains. This is disputed, of course, by the actual relative size of the respective brains. 
On the average, the male brain is about 10% larger than the female one, which leads to a difference in IQ of about, oh, zero points. But what are you going to trust, the actual verifiable, testable evidence or the rantings of a jackass whose education is determined entirely by a book that says the earth is flat, stars are anti-demon missiles, the sun sets in a muddy spring, the sky is a solid substance, and semen is stored in the ribs. But it gets worse, because so far, we've only exaggerated the cerebral demorphism by 40%. You see, women have half-brains, but it gets even worse when they engage in lady stuff like shopping. You see, according to Al-Hajiri, when women go shopping, that activity fully occupies half of their brain, leaving only half of it to devote to the rules of the road. Now, to be fair, the government was kind of pissed about this statement, and it led to this cleric being suspended from leading any religious task for an unspecified amount of time. Yay. Apparently, it's illegal in Saudi Arabia to engage in controversial speech that doesn't serve the national interest. And as terrifying as that law is, it's not as terrifying as the idiot's conception of neurology. So I guess we'll overlook it this time. Of course, we shouldn't mistake this for freedom or anything. They're still hashing out how this change is going to take place, and there will probably still be parts of Saudi Arabia where lady cars aren't allowed to go. In addition, it's widely expected that women drivers will have a curfew that doesn't apply to men. But the nation does seem to be making a concerted effort to make it to the 20th century before the 21st century is over, and considering what we've got to work with, eh, that's probably worth celebrating. Now, if you'll excuse me, all this speaking and thinking and stuff has really taxed my tiny little lady brain. So I'm going to need to close things off here and hand things back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. And in chapeaus and cons news tonight, Christian (laughs) Bucket Salesman, thank you, thank you. Christian Bucket Salesman and convicted felon Jim Backer knows an awful lot about crimes. The ones he was convicted of and... Of course, the ones he has not yet been convicted of. But one crime he doesn't seem to know a lot about is murder. Wait, wait. So you're trying to tell me that that cancer got into Tammy Faye's colon all by itself? You're a more trusting man than I, Mr. Bosnick. Well, okay. Speaking of which, when are we cracking open that bucket? My colon is ready. (laughs) I am excited about that. It is. In my apartment, there are T-shirts on it. No. <laughs> so this week on his show, which continues to be the world's worst infomercial, he made that point even more apparent when, as he was in the middle of thoroughly working Donald Trump's Tate for, quote, not being afraid to pray, end quote, he noted that he, Jim Becker, wears his cross hat, even though a rogue atheist could murder him for it at any moment. <laughs> well, first of all, park better. But oh, based on his appearance... <laughs> I'd say Baker's a lot more likely to die by, uh, you know, choosing the glass in front of him than anything else. That seems like based on very his- true. So let's examine Look the quote. Here it is. Quote, I wear them out in public. He means the hat. And I know I could be shot. Not for the money he stole from those people for the hat. I know that there are crazy people out there. They mostly watch his show. But I'm not going to deny the cross. I will not deny the cross. I won't. And cross. <laughs> Well, you know what? I feel like this is Christianity's fault for picking a holy symbol that so naturally lines up with gun sights. Ooh, skeptic. Yeah, really hard to do with the Hindus. Yeah. So, yeah, for the umpteenth time on this show, we need to look inwards and stop the rash of atheist killings happening in this country. (laughs) It's gotten out of hand. It's gotten out of hand. Absolutely. And don't bother to email us. It doesn't matter how many times we tell Eli that his name is pronounced Baker. He still says Backer. 
And in putting the sect in vasectomy news tonight, Catholics are out for your dicks. And I'm not just speaking to the 12 and under crowd now. I am, however. Hey, kids, find mom and dad's phone and text no, me. No, no, if I keep the same intonation, it sounds better on the edit. Last week, a local paper in Eureka, California, published an op-ed from a local doctor concerned about the decreasing availability of vasectomies in the area. And urologist Scott Sattler makes it perfectly clear where the blame lies. The increasingly monopolistic control of our nation's hospitals by the Catholic Church and its single-minded effort to maximize the world's sperm production. Catholic hospitals, we put the cum in compassion. (laughs) And please forget the other places we put the cum. (laughs) Now, now this story is about Humboldt County, and it takes a local focus, but it represents a national problem. By and large, the Catholics have shifted gears from lobbying for laws to simply just taking the law into their own hands. You might not be able to pass laws restricting access to birth control, but you can buy up all the birth control and just keep it. Or in this case, you can give massive financial incentives to urologists who join the St. Joseph Health Medical Group and put a provision in there that says you can't perform vasectomies because baby Jesus put all them tadpoles there for a reason. Right. And horrible as this is, this is the good version of this terrible thing. Right. Uh, Listeners may remember earlier in the year when we reported on Catholic hospitals also refusing to treat women who needed emergency abortions or medically necessary hysterectomies as well. So this is the good side of this. Fuck. We're like one step away from Catholic ambulances just speeding around, rushing used condoms to the ER, doing mouth to mouth on them. (laughs) But until we get there, this isn't funny. As Sadler pointed out in his op-ed, vasectomies are safer, cheaper, and more reliable than any other form of permanent birth control. On top of that, it's almost entirely undergone by married men who already have kids. So this isn't even about breeding so much as it's just about not fucking for fun. Educated adults are spending hundreds of millions of dollars in their unrelenting mission to keep married people from having too much fun with their naughty bits. I say this a lot about a lot of things, but once again... Even if this was the only problem with religion, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) (laughs) And finally tonight, in SUNY with a chance of Spaceballs news. That's going to make sense in a second. The social studies curriculum (laughs) in Saudi Arabia accidentally became slightly more relevant to modern society this semester when a photograph made its way into a run of high school textbooks over there showing former monarch King Faisal sitting next to Yoda the Jedi Master. <laughs> uh, you hate it when celebrities have weird business ties. Yoda's in with the Saudis. President is a Russian spy. It's the <laughs> you never know how to feel. Yeah, the whole thing. Apparently, the guy who actually made this image that with Yoda has no idea how it got in the textbook. But I love the fact that it exists all because according to the Photoshopper in question, he did it because the only way to make Saudi history not depressing as fuck is to add fictional characters into it and shit. <laughs> I think he's got to do a few more things. The fictional okay, it's a step. It's a step. Yeah, so uh, I'm not sure who got replaced by Yoda in the original picture. But regardless, this is a country that has exactly zero public movie theaters. So this is like their Obamacare, like big thing. And by that, I mean, it's a step in the right direction. But conservatives are desperately trying to undo any progress made and keep society from moving forward without them. Also known as uh, religion existing. Uh, also known as conservatives existing, to be fair. <laughs> and uh, speaking of panicky religious conservatives failing to make Arabia great again, it was announced this week that women will soon be allowed to drive cars in Saudi Arabia. Ooh. So apparently, unlike 
here in the U.S. right now, their current leader, King Salman, is actually working on improving the country rather than having uh, racist Twitter fights with professional athletes. It must be nice. It must be nice. <laughs> being in Radical, moronic terrorism. Say it. <laughs> Say it. <laughs> Worth pointing out, though, now that Twitter fights are a large portion of the presidential responsibilities, we're that much closer to President Eli Bosnick. Yeah! <laughs> Assuming the overqualified thing won't be an issue. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, so it looks like Saudi Arabia might finally be heading toward a more reasonable society. Well, I mean... Except for the entire country being guided by a book that says kill non-Muslims and gay people until that's no longer possible. But, you know, you got to make some compromises. For now, women will be allowed to drive cars while persecuting gay people. So everybody wins. A little <laughs> bit of, except the gay people. They don't, baby steps. Right. Everybody else. Just wins. a Saudi woman dragging Matthew Shepard behind her car to fight song oh, by God. Rachel Platten. <laughs> this is my fight song. Right. It's not funny. It's not funny. No, no. It's, well, it's uh, funny. It's not, not funny. You got to picture it. Don't tweet at me unless you pictured it. You can tweet at me if you pictured it. Then you didn't think it was funny after that? Fine. But you got to picture it first. Use those 280 characters. Very exciting. All right. Well, uh, stories <laughs> about Saudi Arabia don't usually have much good news, but the female driving ban getting lifted is definitely a nice surprise. And also the Yoda thing was great. That was awesome. And uh, we obviously want the Saudi people to finally enjoy the wonder that is the most overrated movie franchise in the history of mankind. Ooh. So Whoa. we're going to... Oh, oh, it's not. It's not. No. What's, what's more overrated? Exactly. So I, we're going to help out with uh, some his, marketing. Uh, views of our show tweeted him. <laughs> He'll never see them, but tweeted him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Tweet me what's a more overrated. And also t tweet me whatever you want. I might get it. So we're going to help out with some marketing either way. Let's put 30 seconds on the clock. Taglines for the Muslim version of Star Wars go. Um, maybe that uh, that classic line from Admiral Allahu Akbar. It's an IED. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I did really great on these ones this week, guys. Good. Uh, if cars you drive, you are a whore. <laughs> these aren't the droids you're looking for. <laughs> what? <laughs> it rhymed. It that was good. It rhymes. I think it was. Iambic pentameter? No, not quite. No. Okay. Um, what about uh, adventure, excitement, consent? A jihadi craves not these things. <laughs> um, I also did really good, Eli. Um, how about C3PO Jews? Ah, I, okay. <laughs> I got one. Uh, Jews, I am your slaughter. <laughs> Jew or Jew not. There is no... Okay. And also, everyone email about the I Am Your Father line just to Eli. That'd be great. Um, what about Return of the Jedi Atola? May the Farsi be with you. That was for Iran. All right. I didn't do a third one. I just wrote, no email necessary. Jews isn't any closer to Luke than it is to no. So he might, might as well say he got that one. Right. I, I, I did get it right, sharing. if I think about it. All right. Um, Sunni, the world shall be mine. Is that even a line from Star Wars? I think so. <laughs> soon. He says soon. It sucks. He soon. does. There's got, yeah. There's, somebody says soon in that movie. That's Soon-y. one of them. <laughs> All right. Uh, I got one more. How about uh, Star Wars? The FG Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess now that you're picturing a hypothermic Luke Skywalker being shoved into a vagina to stay warm, we'll close out the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Getting shoved into a vagina to stay warm the game. And when we come back, <laughs> we'll finally put the book of Alma in the rearview mirror. Aww. 
And now, us yelling about Roy Moore. Are you goddamn kidding me? This guy we just this has been us yelling about Roy Moore. <laughs> In the early days of the earth, before life took hold, the skies were orange from dust and the seas green from dissolved iron. And it was against that alien backdrop that we first began to read the book of fucking Alma. But tonight, we're going to make it to the end of this goddamn thing and forevermore people at the finish lines of marathons will walk up to us and congratulate us. Hey, look, we... We both shot ourselves. <laughs> My nipples burn too. I do want to eat squeezy applesauce. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. Squeeze. They have to sell that to you, by the way. You don't have to run. You could just have that at home. Fun fact. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. And since she always insists that I finish, I thought it fitting to return the favor. So joining us for this belated conclusion is my lovely wife, Lucinda. Lucinda, welcome back. Whether I insist and whether you finish are two very different questions. Fair enough. All right, so when we last left our heroes, Moroni the Nephite was duking it out with Amaron and the Lamanites, and Helamon just took control of the stripling soldiers. Right. And as you recall, the Nephites had a shit ton of Lamanite prisoner slaves, so they decided to set up a prisoner exchange with Amaron. Yeah, and, and, and mostly this exchange involves a, I am so going to kick your ass letter from Moroni. Right, but at the end, he closes with, of course, I might not kick your ass if you give us one man prisoner, one woman prisoner, and one kid prisoner for each man prisoner we give you. <laughs> Plus, you got to let me give you a Lamanite burn. No flinching. <laughs> <laughs> let me do it the whole way. And, and to underscore this, he says, and if you don't, I'll even arm up the women and children to come after you. Because if a crotchety three-year-old reluctantly dragging a bastard sword into <laughs> battle behind him isn't intimidating, what is, really? <laughs> okay. Weirdly dismissive of those of us who have a reoccurring nightmare about having to kill their way through an army of babies, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Get it? You were joking around. I can take a joke. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> and then Amaron sends back a letter that basically says, I'm totally not scared of you. I'm going to give back those prisoners and shit like, yes, but not because I'm scared of you. I was like going to go to my room anyway. That's where my stuff <laughs> That's is. My, yeah. Also. Oh, and then he goes, also, P.S. Christianity's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> he writes that last part on the layman. It's like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but Moroni can't handle this. I'm not scared of you bullshit. So he rejects the prisoner exchange that he himself suggested. Yeah. Right. So just to be clear, the great leader in this book gets what he wants, but the note saying he's going to get what he wants isn't nice enough, so he doesn't care. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you're sure he's not an atheist on Facebook, right? I just want to clarify. <laughs> so instead of exchanging prisoners, Maroney goes and gets his black friend and has him sneak over to the Lamanites and get him drunk. Really want to be part of that conversation. Just be like, uh, I will go, my king. No, 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 no. I'm looking for a... a what? <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> and So while all the guards are shit-faced here, they sneak in and arm all of the prisoners. 
with the barrels of swords they carried silently into the city, apparently. <laughs> Quiet, Carl. <laughs> my, my booze isn't making any noise. You notice that? <laughs> and then the drunken Lamanites wake up, and Joey makes it clear that the Nephites could kill all of them, but they don't, mm-hmm. because, you know, what kind of asshole would kill a helpless drunk? Other than Nephi, the patriarch of this religion. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, and we wouldn't want to make this book repetitive. No, so. God, no. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> so, so Moroni and his army take the city, and now they've got even more prisoners, meaning Moroni now has the most concentration camps of any literary hero ever. <laughs> uh, I hate to disagree with you, Lucinda, but maybe you're forgetting about a little man named Adolf Hitler. Sorry, there's just what? amazing money in being a Nazi right now. I really <laughs> want to get <laughs> <on. laughs> Two votes, two votes. Oh. No votes. Oh my gosh! And, well, and that, we, so, we didn't and, say how much money. <laughs> how much money, Eli? Uh, thirty thousand dollars a month. <laughs> okay, that is a Done. large amount. We'll, we'll circle back. We'll circle back at the end. We'll <laughs> now that Joey's realized how much filler he can milk out of the letters here, he gets a letter from Hallaman to Moroni about the plot. <laughs> why the fuck not? And he is reaching for that page, Phil, on these letters. It's like, dear Moroni, hello and welcome to this letter. <laughs> How are you? Dot, dot, dot. Wait, dot, space, dot, space, dot, space. Good. Good. I hope that you are very, very, very good. What, what if we block quote it? We'll block quote it. And in this letter, we meet uh, maybe Joey's best name so far. We meet. Antipus. Ugh, Antipus, <laughs> the Nephite general. Okay, I like his YouTube channel. He makes some great points about feminism. <laughs> why, why are you afraid of ideas? That's... Yeah, but the heart of the story here is that Antipus and his army got their asses kicked by the Lamanites, but then Hallaman showed up with his stripling warriors to save the day, eventually. Somewhere yeah, along Yeah, I'm pretty sure this chapter is supposed to be about war, but when he starts talking about, you know, planning to bring them up in the rear and overpower them. I'm not 100% sure where he's going. Good call. Since Joey has zero originality either, they do the little army they can see, big one they can't trick again. Yeah. <laughs> Just a bunch of Nephites wearing bright yellow in front of a <laughs> giant group wearing camo. <laughs> Tricked them. And then in verse 52, Joey completely forgets this is a letter from Hellamon and suddenly starts like referring to him in the third person and then remembers two verses later and goes back. Yeah, and this letter continues into the next chapter where Amaron was also trying to negotiate prisoner exchanges with Hellman. Right, and then Hellman's army heads out to take Kumeni because damned if we're going to come up with a whole place name and then not besiege that motherfucker. (laughs) And at this point, I'm pretty sure Joseph Smith thinks he's made up the idea of putting a city under siege. He he seems really (laughs) proud of how clever that idea is. No, I'm telling you guys, you attack it, you just like stay there. Yeah. It's like Airbnb, but war. <laughs> also, why would you put in a part about the good guy killing prisoners of war? It's a fake story. Right. You have complete autonomy over this. Unless you're planning to kill POWs in the future, <laughs> exactly. why would you have this in your what book? What's the point? I mean, Bryce Blackley. <laughs> <laughs> Then the stripling soldiers get into another battle and come away without a single casualty. So, you know, they're magic. Right. But they are injured, so it's not crazy. Uh, <laughs> no. 
Yeah. Right. But don't worry, something different will happen in the next chapter. I'm just kidding. It's more Nephites taking cities back from the Lamanites for 41 goddamn verses to uh, fuck this book. But. And, and it seems to me that, like, okay, once you realize that you have 2,000 indestructible, immortal magic soldiers, you can kind of give up on stratagems and shit, can't you? <laughs> but then we wouldn't get all this awesome fortification talk, I guess. Yeah. So, you know. Just smashing through the walls like the Kool-Aid guy. Hey, Joe, Joe, I think we need some wall talk or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, but after several verses of, oh, no, the good guys are surrounded. What will they do? They decide to pray to God, and he's like, yeah, no worries. Yeah, I got you. right. Also, we should point out at this point, Helamon has two generals working with him. Gid, the, the guy they <laughs> probably named that city after, and his buddy, Tiumner. Tiumner. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even say these names <laughs> as though you know when you're done saying them. No, not right? at all. Uh. And I just want to point out that even though it says in the first verse, don't worry, we're not going to use that same small army retreats, big army in circles trick again. That is exactly what the fuck they do <laughs> again. Maybe they were worried Lamanites were reading the book, which is written by Alma, who die vanished a few chapters ago. <laughs> Right, but but Triple this time bluff? they man- <laughs> right, but this time they managed to drive out all of the Lamanites, but they do manage to kidnap a shitload of Nephite women and children. Right, and and, and just to leave a little suspense hanging in there, he closes this three chapter long letter by saying, "Sure seems weird. The government isn't sending us more soldiers to support our war effort. Almost like there's a rebellious faction." Anyway, toodles. <laughs> but the exciting letter writing campaign portion of the book continues in the next chapter here, where Moroni sends a letter to Paharan, or whatever the fuck his name is, asking him to send more troops to Helaman. And, and while Moroni is waiting for a response to that letter, the city he's in is attacked by the Lamanites because that's absolutely all Joey has in his fucking quiver. All the time. So the Nephites bravely run away and Moroni thinks to himself, man, those Lamanites sure were kicking ass, but I bet these people are unrighteous or something here. Yeah. Okay, whoever was unrighteous, come up and put their dwindling belief on my desk. No questions asked. <laughs> I want to turn Nobody around. gets in trouble. I'm going to <laughs> Nephite just walks up with a plate version of the atheist experience. Bang! <laughs> <laughs> and you know who can get too many letters? No fucking body, that's who. So we open a chapter 60 with another letter that Moroni wrote to Paharin. Uh, and the, the TLDR on this letter, by the way, is to fucks up with them soldiers I asked you for. Yeah, but unfortunately for us, TL or no, we had to R. So yeah. we get verse after verse of, come on, man, I know you have an army I can borrow. Yeah, oh I'm my good God. for it. It is the letter version of the friend who gets ever more aggressive about borrowing money. <laughs> I have a crazy idea. <laughs> While you're trapped in my car with me. <laughs> now, at, at one point in the letter, he goes, man, it's gotten so bad. Even the good guys are getting killed. And, and then he has to go off on this weird three verse tangent about how that makes sense, though, you know, because sometimes that's the only way that an omnipotent. All-knowing God can punish the wicked. <laughs> God's the guy who invented Louis the Fifteenth spanking boy. Yeah. <laughs> Mormon God. Everything happens for a reason. So 
There's also one of those beautifully self-aware moments where the letter says, but why should I say so much concerning this matter? After all, we would both obviously know all this shit. (laughs) So does the reader, by the way. So moving on. (laughs) Also, who's writing this? This right here, not the letter, the holy book. (laughs) Who got my letter and wrote this as part of the future? Did you send it back? Did (laughs) Lauren send it back? Oh, I thought you might want to copy this down into a plate. But eventually the letter takes a dark turn and Maroney starts asking Pehorin if he's too chicken shit to send armies or if it's because there's too many dicks in his mouth and he can't (laughs) give the order. Another great meta moment where he goes, what do you think God's just going to take care of it? I mean, not that he couldn't. No, he totally could, (laughs) but that's not the point. Point. God's actually, he's just super busy right now. <laughs> he doesn't, yeah, thanks he doesn't to you. Know, like phone calls. Doesn't like the phone. <laughs> but, <laughs> but eventually he gets to the point, send me armies or I will whip your ass. And if you thought that letter was exciting, you didn't. Wait until you hear <laughs> Pehorin's reply for 21 <gasps> verses. And, and Pehorin's letter is basically the Joseph Smith equivalent of that, like, now sober, half-hearted apology post on Facebook that's still really accusatory, even though they're admitting they were the one in the wrong. Mm. Look, look, I know I, I, I could have sent you some armies and food, um, but you didn't have to be so hurtful, really, if you think about it. And <laughs> muted. You see the onion? So <laughs> now, Clever. by muted, do you mean join in an 800 comment thread? I did not mean that. <laughs> but, the opposite. I don't opposite. understand. <laughs> <laughs> So we learned that there's been an insurrection back home and a bunch of the freedom haters are trying to overthrow Payhorn. Right. There's also a lot of face saving. Like, now don't get me wrong. I may have been driven out of the Capitol left, but after that, I whooped a bunch. I totally whooped some ass after when we were on our way out. People that were there. <laughs> oh, you should have seen the other guy that didn't exist. It's cool. <laughs> I also want to point out that this chapter has a lot of how awesome is killing people who rise up against God type stuff. Yes. We pointed that out a lot when it showed up in the Quran a lot. So <laughs> it's only fair that we, you know, highlight it in this one too. Yes. Right. I'm just Hail. saying we get the Mormons out until we figure this thing out. Until we figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Extreme Mormon vetting. So Pehoran asked Maroney to come back and retake the capital so they can team up buddy cop style. Oh, oh, careful. If you say buddy cop too loud, followed by any words at all, ABC will make two seasons of it. So it's only 9.30. Damn it! (laughs) You are too late. Pehoran and Moroni. (laughs) (laughs) So Moroni gets Pehoran's letter and rides out with a group of men to finish this goddamn never-ending Alma shit, I hope. Honestly, if he ran into battle yelling, for the end of this book, Keith and I would join him. <laughs> right? Also, on the way there, he, he flies the standard of freedom and thousands flock to his army to retake the capital. But like, if all you needed to do to raise thousands of men was ride through town with a bald eagle flag, why the fuck were you pestering Pehorin? He's got shit to do. Right? I get it. You got to get the flag. You got to get the horse. <laughs> the journey. So he joins up with Payhorn and they go off to fight the usurper king, Patches. Patches? I don't know. I don't know. It, it takes about two sentences. He's also a clown. He's a, <laughs> He's a usurper king and a part time. He does on, on the weekends, he does birthday parties. Seltzer spray. I'm a king. Seriously, don't. Yeah, he, no, it, he does dis- dispose of this whole fight in like two sentences, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> 
Yeah, shorten away, Joe. <laughs> shorten away. <laughs> exactly. So they send Tiancom and Lehi some reinforcements. <laughs> And then they come as a real thing. I know, I know. Every time she says something, I start laughing. But yeah, I I like some tea and cum too. But anyway, (laughs) then they head off to take back a Nifahaha just to make sure this book cements its record for most war in a book that still never manages to be interesting in any way whatsoever. Uh, I'm going to give it second place to guns, germs, and steel. Oh, bananas, <laughs> huh? That's how bananas were created. Fascinating. However will I understand war without bananas? <laughs> guns, germs, and steel. <laughs> and then they retake no- Nefiha. Uh, but uh, By the way, by sneaking in while the arm is asleep. Like, this book and the Muppet Babies have the same battle plan, generally speaking. <laughs> yeah, way more sneaking in this book than I was expecting. I want to say that now. <laughs> way more sneaking. But before they can even have their war, Tian comes, sneaks into the Lamanite camp, and, and spears the king through the heart. Yeah. Because no amount of defeat will teach Lamanite the Night Watchman lesson, Again I Again with a javelin, too. <laughs> a javelin. Knives. <laughs> knives. The way of the future. So much easier. <laughs> And, and when Moroni slayed the Lamanite uh, with with much slaughter, uh, they drove them out of the land. I wonder if they'll stay away this time. This is also where Moroni hands Delmi off to his son, um, Moroni. Uh, <laughs> Moroni's uh, son's name is Moroni. Uh-huh. Moron, I, ha. <laughs> I may never be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then the book Alma does its own little breakfast club close. Yeah. Then we we close it off on a weird chapter that has nothing to say except also there was a dude named Haggith and he built boats. Wooden, Wooden submarines. submarines. No, just boats. Oh, no. yeah, we've been waiting a while. No. <laughs> when is no. that happening? I, I I don't know. I think I'm starting to think it's in the Pearl of Great Price or something. God damn it! I am not reading a Pearl of Ever Price. No, no, any no price. Uh, Fisher you know, Price. <laughs> no, we are not. Um, and then Shiblon. I don't. I just. I don't even want that conversation starting online. And then Shiblon, who got the plates at the beginning of this chapter, hands them off to Helaman. No, not that Helaman. He's dead now. This one is that one's son, also Helaman. <laughs> because fuck this book. I'm pretty sure this is the one the mayonnaise is named after, though. Oh, right? Helaman the Everybody second. Him. Helaman yeah. the second. Yeah. Otherwise known as go fuck yourself. Exactly. <laughs> also, there's a weird surprise war in the last couple of verses here. The book is all like, and then the people did live happily ever after, and these plates were kept sacred. And just now, as I was writing the sentence, a bunch of Lamanites went to war with us, but you know, we won. And thus ends the book of Alma. Here they come again. Here they come again. Oh, action. All right, we're done. <laughs> and and that's it. For fuck's sake, the months of reading Alma have Ever. finally come to an end. Five segments after they began. Uh, so after two months of reading, annotating, rereading, and sketchifying this book, the following question should be easy. What was the book of Alma about? Uh... The importance of regular neck massages. <laughs> uh, okay, so Alma, Alma, Heath goes, Heath goes gaw. Uh, seconded. I did go gaw. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that. Yep. I, liked I think that it's the character. best you could possibly do if you keep yourself to a tweet or less. Oh. Well, uh, glad we finally took something away from the month that we spent on that motherfucker, but there's still plenty more Book of Mormon to go, so we're going to dive into the Book of Helaman, who... Already died in this book in two weeks when the Book of Morons returns. 
Before we lock it down tonight, I want to remind everybody that this weekend will be the last chance this year to see us live in the U.S. of A. We're recording a live episode of God Awful Movies in Salt Lake City, Utah on Sunday, October 1st. A few tickets are still available. You'll find a link to get yours on the show notes for this episode. And if you missed that one, you got to go all the hell way to Sydney, Australia to see us at Skepticon on November 18th and 19th. And that's a really long flight. Unless you're already there. Anyway, that's all the blast we've got for you tonight. We'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show's hot friend, God Awful Movies, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday, and an equally new episode of our half-sister show, Citation Needed, at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Or find bonus nuggets of scathiasm by following us on Twitter, liking us on Facebook, or showing up at Eli's apartment at odd hours and asking him to be funny. Obviously, I'm not allowed to cue the outro music if I don't thank Heath Enright for always being quick with a joker to light up your smoke. I need to thank the lovely and talented Lucinda Illusions for putting up with my insane travel schedule this month, especially the part where I had to be out of town on her birthday, which is today, by the way. So be sure to hop on Facebook and wish her a happy one. I also need to thank the lovely in his own way, Eli Bosnick, for not killing himself on his birthday and other stuff also, but mostly that. I also want to thank Jeremy from the Worldwide Atheist Podcast for providing this week's Farnsworth quote and for finally clearing us of all those pesky questions about our ancestral penis size. If you want to check out his podcast, you'll find it linked on the show notes for this episode. But most of all, of course, I want to thank this week's most munificent mammals, Christopher, John, Dan, Corey, Angie, Catherine, Brian, Jared, and Robert. Christopher, John, and Dan, whose cocks make more professional athletes kneel than the national anthem. Corey, Angie, and Catherine, who are so sexy the MPAA award them their own rating. And Brian, Jared, and Robert, whose ejaculations give North Korea intercontinental ballistic envy. Together, these nine fine doubters of the divine helped keep this machine running this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the keen detection skills and ability to banter well with supervillains that it takes to give us money, but if you think you're up to the challenge, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash scathingatheist, whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free edition of every episode, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. And if you'd like to help, but not if it's going to cost you money, you can also help us ton by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes, telling a friend about the show, or having our logo tattooed on your forehead. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres and our audio engineer is Martin Clark, who also wrote all the music that was used in this episode, which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingatheist.com. Okay, so I have just received word that Little Rock, Arkansas is where God's Not Dead 3 is being shot and they need paid extras. So we are going to put up a GoFundMe in the show notes for this no, episode for you to move us to Little Rock, Arkansas just for three weeks. Just for three weeks. You're just going to pay our rent for three weeks. We'll find an affordable Airbnb and we will be in the background of God's Not Dead 3. And we're going to be polite on set. We'll use stage names so they won't be like, aren't you the gods? Aren't you the god awful movies? We'll use stage names. Everyone has stage names in Hollywood. They're not going to look up our real names, right? And then in the background, we're just slowly going to make jerk off motions. Never in a way that the cameraman will notice, but just like I'll be looking at a pole and like measuring it as my hand comes up and down and you get to follow along and that'll be in God's Not Dead 3 forever. They'd have to remake the whole movie and I'll be in every I'll be pushing little old ladies out of the way and just, just slow motion jerking off double dicks but I'll pretend that I'm looking through binoculars just oh, maybe I want to look nah, I don't want to look through these binoculars so check the show notes. We're going to move to Little Rock, Arkansas, just for three weeks. We got to get the job. Send in our headshots and resumes. Pray for us. <laughs> there you go. We're not really going to do any of that. So two dicks, one in each eye is what you're describing? <laughs> yeah, two okay. dicks. You got to imagine like looking through binoculars, putting them in, taking them out. But then Put you sticks. move it out to the side when they're not ready. 
And then oh, it, and then you, oh, okay. You're twisting. You're doing a twist yeah, motion. You're I got doing it. Like okay. a, uh, 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 uh. You're doing you're doing like a, a Riley Reed, right? She's really good. got it. Like a little of here, little of there. That's a hard skill to. Learn. I don't feel like I'd be good at that. I feel like I'd be like, all right, everyone, wait your turn. All right, I'm the one sucking the dicks here. You assholes are feeling left out. You will play by my rules. My eye sockets, my rules. <laughs> if I had a nickel. <laughs> the preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved.